Section 10 of the Freedman's Book by Lydia Maria Child. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. To San Lavature, Part 1, by El Maria Child. Everywhere thy name shall be redeemed from color's infamy, and men shall learn to speak of thee as one of earth's great spirits, born in servitude and nursed in scorn casting aside the weary weight and fetters of its low estate in that strong majesty of soul which knows no color tongue or clime which still hath spurned the base control of tyrants through all time john g whittier on the western coast of africa a tribe called the Aradas are said to be superior to most of the other tribes in intelligence and strength of will. The son of their chief, named Gauganu, was seized by a prowling band of slave traders one day when he was out hunting. He was packed in the hold of a European ship with a multitude of other unfortunate victims and carried to the island of Haiti to be sold. This is one of the largest of the West India Islands, and lies between Cuba and Puerto Rico. It was first discovered by Spaniards, who found it inhabited by mild-tempered Indians, leading a very simple and happy life. These natives called their island Haiti, which in their language signified a land of mountains. A lofty ridge of mountains runs across it, and gives it a solemn, dreary appearance, when seen in the distance but it is a very beautiful and fertile island. The high rocky precipices, piled one above another, look down on broad flowery plains, flowing with water, and loaded with tropical fruits. When the Spaniards established a colony there, they introduced the cultivation of sugar, cotton, and coffee to supply the markets of Europe. They compelled the native Indians to work so hard and treated them so badly that the poor creatures died off very fast. Then they sent men in ships to Africa to steal negroes to work for them. They founded a city in the eastern part of the island, and named it St. Domingo, and the whole island came to be called by that name by European nations. The French afterward took possession of the western part of the island. Their principal city was named Cap Francois, which means French Cape. The African prince, Gauganu, was sold in the market of that city. He was more fortunate than slaves generally are. He was bought by the manager of a sugar plantation belonging to a French nobleman, named the Count de Breda. He was kind-hearted, and was very careful to employ none but humane men to take charge of his laborers. The condition of the young African was also less desolate than it would have been, by reason of his finding on the Breda estate several members of the Aradus tribe, who, like him, had been stolen from their homes. They at once recognized him as the son of their king, and treated him with the utmost respect. In process of time he married a black slave, who is said to have been handsome and virtuous. They joined the Roman Catholic Church, which was the established religion of France and the French islands. Of their eight children, the oldest, born in 1743, 122 years ago, was named Toussaint. The day of his birth is not certainly known. It has been said to have been on the 20th of May. But from his name it seems more likely that it was on the 1st of November. 
in catholic countries almost every day of the year is set apart to the worship of some saint and a child born on the day of any particular saint is very apt to receive his name from that day the first of november is a festival of the church called all saints day and toussaint in the french language means all saints in the neighborhood of Gauguinou lived a very honest religious old black man named pierre baptiste he had been in the service of jesuit missionaries and had there learned to read and write also a little of geometry by help of the catholic prayer-book he learned some prayers in latin and found out their meaning in french this man stood godfather for toussaint at his baptism and as the boy grew older it was his pleasure to teach him what little he himself knew the language of the arados tribe was always spoken in the family of gauguinou but from his godfather toussaint learned to speak tolerably good french which was the language of the whites in the western part of st domingo it is said that gauguinou was allowed to cultivate a little patch of ground for his family and that some of his fellow-slaves were permitted to assist him occasionally this indulgence indicates that he stood well in his master's opinion but in common with other slaves it is probable that he and his wife toiled early and late in the fields or the sugar-house and that their family were huddled together in a hut too small to allow of their observing the laws of cleanliness or modesty for several years toussaint was so feeble and slender that his parents called him by a name which signified the little lath but he gained strength as he grew older and by the time he was twelve years old he could beat all the boys in running jumping and leaping it was the business of young slaves to tend the flocks and herds they generally neglected and abused the creatures under their care because they themselves were accustomed to hard treatment but toussaint was of a kindly disposition and there was less violence on his master's plantation than elsewhere it was remarked in the neighborhood that he differed from other boys in his careful and gentle treatment of the animals under his care he was naturally a silent and thoughtful child and probably this tendency was increased by being much alone watching the browsing cattle in the stillness of the great valleys perhaps also the presence of the mountains and the sky made him feel serious and solemn his pious godfather told him legends of catholic saints which he had heard among the missionaries all these things combined to give him a religious turn of mind even in his boyhood from his own father he learned a great deal about africa and the customs that prevailed in the tribe of his grandfather king of the Aradas. also the medicinal qualities of many plants which afterwards proved very useful to him nothing is recorded of the moral and intellectual character of his father but toussaint always respected him highly and when he was himself an old man he spoke of him as a good parent who had trained him well by lessons of honor and virtue toussaint breda as he was called from the name of the estate on which he worked early acquired a reputation for intelligence sobriety and industry the manager of the estate m bayou de libertas was so much pleased with his conduct and manners that he made him his coachman a situation much coveted by the slaves as being more easy and pleasant than most of their tasks 
His kindness to animals fitted him for the care of horses, and he was found as faithful in this new business as he had been while he was a herdsboy. He was afterwards promoted to an office of greater trust, being made steward of the sugar-house. Having arrived at manhood, he began to want a home of his own. Most of the slaves took up together without any form of marriage, that being one of the bad customs which grows out of slavery. But Toussaint was religious, and it would have troubled his conscience to live in that bad way. He had become attached to a widow named Susan, who had one little son called Placide. She was not handsome, but he loved her for her good sense, good temper, and modest manners. They were married according to the ceremonies of the Catholic Church. He adopted her little boy, and brought him up as tenderly as he did his own children. The manager allowed him a small patch of ground for vegetables, and all the hours they could snatch from the plantation labors, he and his wife devoted to the cultivation of their little garden. Monsieur Bayou de Libertas was such a humane and considerate man that life in his service seems to have been as happy as the condition of slaves can be. Long afterward, Toussaint, speaking of this period of his life, said, My wife and I went hand in hand to labor in the fields. We were scarcely conscious of the fatigues of the day. Heaven always blessed our toil. We had abundance for ourselves and the pleasure of giving to other blacks who needed it. On Sundays and festival days, my wife, my parents, and myself went to church. Returning to our cottage, we had a pleasant meal, passed the remainder of the day in family intercourse, and closed it by prayer, in which all took part. Thus contented in his humble station, and faithfully performing his duties, he gained the respect and confidence of both blacks and whites. Many of the slaves in the French colonies were cruelly treated, as is always the case wherever slavery exists. Toussaint could not avoid seeing a great deal of wrong and suffering inflicted on people of his color, and he was doubtless grateful to God that his lot was so much better than theirs. But he was too intelligent and thoughtful not to question in his own mind why either he or they should be held in bondage merely on account of the complexion which it had pleased God to give them. He was fond of reading, and M. Bayou de Libertas, contrary to the usual custom, allowed him the use of his books. He read one volume at a time, and tried to understand it thoroughly. He devoted every spare moment to it and while he was at work he was busily thinking over what he had read. It took complete possession of his soul for the time, and he would repeat extracts from it to his companions for weeks after. In this earnest way he read several books of ancient history, biography, and morals, and a number of military books. There was a French author called the Abbe Raynal, who was much opposed to slavery, in some way or other, one of his books fell into the hands of Toussaint Breda, and made a deep impression on him. It contained the following sentence. What shall be done to overthrow slavery? Self-interest alone governs kings and nations. We must look elsewhere. A courageous chief is all the Negroes need. Where is he? 
where is that great man whom nature owes to her vexed oppressed and tormented children he will doubtless appear he will come forth and raise the sacred standard of liberty this venerable signal will gather round him his companions in misfortune more impetuous than the torrents they will everywhere leave the indelible traces of their just resentment everywhere people will bless the name of the hero who shall have re-established the rights of the human race when abbe raynal wrote those prophetic words he did not foresee that they would meet the eye of the very man he called for and the humble slave when he read them did not hear in them the voice of his own destiny while he was diligently toiling for his humane masters and seizing every opportunity to increase his small stock of knowledge the island of st domingo was growing very rich by agriculture and commerce the planters acquired enormous wealth built splendid houses and lived in luxury laziness and dissipation upon the toil of the poor unpaid negroes twenty thousand slaves were imported from africa every year to make up the deficiency of those who were killed by excessive toil and cruel treatment these new victims men and women had the name of their purchaser branded on their breastbones with red-hot iron but men never violate the laws of god without suffering the consequences sooner or later slavery was producing its natural fruits of tyranny and hatred cruelty and despair the reports of barbarity on one side and suffering on the other attracted attention in europe and benevolent and just men began to speak and write against slavery as a wicked and dangerous institution the abbe gregoire a humane bishop of the catholic church introduced the agitating question into the french assembly a body similar to our congress he also formed a society called les amis des noirs which means the friends of the blacks of course this was very vexatious to slaveholders in the french colonies they knew very well that if the facts of slavery were made known every good man would cry out against it political parties were formed in st domingo some of the planters wanted to secede from france and set up an independent government others wanted to increase their political power by having a colonial assembly established in the island by means of which they could mainly manage their own concerns as they chose for this purpose they sent deputies to france but their request gave rise to the question who should have the right to be members of such an assembly and for the following reasons that question was very annoying to the haughty slaveholders of st domingo in the united states of america slaveholders made a law that the child shall follow the condition of the mother consequently every child of a slave woman was born a slave however light its complexion might be this was a very convenient arrangement for white fathers who wanted to sell their own children in the french colonies the law was the child shall follow the condition of its father the consequence was that all the children the planters of st domingo had by their slaves were born free this was of course a numerous class in fact their numbers were two-thirds as great as those of the whites 
There were at that time in St. Domingo thirty thousand whites, twenty thousand free mulattoes, and five hundred thousand black slaves. Not unfrequently the white planters sent their mulatto children to France to be educated like gentlemen. Many of them acquired great wealth and held numerous slaves, but they were a class by themselves. However rich and educated they might be, they were kept trampled down in a degraded and irritating position, merely on account of their color. They despised the negro slaves, from whom they had descended on the mother's side, and they in their turn were despised by the whites, whose children they were, because their color connected them with the enslaved race. They were not allowed to be doctors, lawyers, or priests. They could hold no public office. They could not inherit the name or the property of their fathers. They could not attend school with white boys or sit at a white man's table, or occupy the same portion of a church with him, or be buried in the same graveyard. They were continually insulted by whites, but if they dared to give a blow in return, the penalty was to have the right hand cut off. This class of free mulattoes claimed that, being numerous and wealthy, and the payers of taxes, they had a right to send representatives to the colonial assembly to look after their interests. They had the more hopes of gaining this point, because a great revolution was then going on in France, and the friends of liberty and equality were daily growing stronger there. When the white planters sent deputies to France, the mulatto sent deputies also, with a present of more than a million of dollars, and an offer to mortgage a fifth part of all their property toward the payment of the French national debt. All they asked in return was that the law should put them on an equality with white men. Being slaveholders, they manifested the same selfishness that white slaveholders did, they declared that they asked redress of grievances only for oppressed freemen, that they had no wish to change the condition of the negroes who were slaves. This petition was drawn up in 1790, and sent to Paris by a wealthy colored man named Ogi. It excited lively discussion in the National Assembly of France. One of the members, named Lamotte, who owned large estates in St. Domingo, said, I am one of the largest proprietors in that island, but I would lose all that I possess there, rather than disown principles which justice and humanity have consecrated. I am not only in favor of admitting men of color into the colonial assemblies, but I also go for the emancipation of the negro slaves. After animated discussion, the reply received by the mulatto deputies from the president of the assembly was— no portion of the French nation shall in vain claim its rights from the representatives of the French people. When the white planters of St. Domingo heard of this, they were filled with wrath. In one place a mulatto named Lacombe, whose only crime it was that he had signed the petition, was seized and hung. In another place the mob seized a highly respected old white magistrate and cut off his head because he had drafted for the mulattoes a very moderate petition, begging to be released from some of the hardships under which they had so long suffered. When the colored deputy Ogi returned from France and demanded that mulattoes should have the rights of citizenship, which had been decreed to them by the French Assembly, 
soldiers were sent to seize him and he was sentenced to have all his limbs broken on a wheel and then to have his head cut off besides the classes of which i have spoken there was another class in st domingo called petit blanc which means small whites they were so called to distinguish them from the large landed proprietors they occupied a position not unlike that of the class known as poor whites in the slave-holding portion of the united states they were ready instruments to carry out the vengeance of the infuriated planters they seized every opportunity to insult the free mulattoes and to inflict cruelty and outrage on the negro slaves they went about as patrols traversing the plantations and bursting into negro huts at all times of night under the pretense that they were plotting insurrection the poor ignorant slaves did not understand what all this mobbing and murdering was for but finding themselves so much suspected and abused without cause they became weary of their lives many committed suicide others tried to poison their tormentors at port-au-prince an attempt was made to get up an insurrection fifty slaves suspected of being connected with it were beheaded and their heads stuck on poles were set up by the hedges in a row while the fire was thus kindling under their feet the white planters came out in open defiance of the french government and refused to take the oath of allegiance they called on the english for aid and offered to make the island over to great britain the mulattoes were filled with dismay for the french government was their only hope they had hitherto kept aloof from the negroes but now seeing the necessity of curbing the power of the white planters at all hazards they instigated the already exasperated slaves to seize this favorable moment of commotion and rise against their masters they did rise on the twenty-second of august seventeen ninety one all at once the sky was red with the reflection of burning houses and cane fields the cruelties which they had witnessed or suffered they now in their turn inflicted on white men women and children it was a horrible scene toussaint was working as usual on the breda estate when he heard that the planters had called in the aid of the english and that four thousand negroes had risen in insurrection he exerted his great influence with his fellow-slaves to prevent the destruction of houses and cane-fields on the breda estate for a month he kept the insurgents at bay while he helped m bayou de libertas to convey a cargo of sugar on board a baltimore ship for the support of his family and aided his mistress to collect such articles of value as could conveniently be carried away then he secretly conveyed them to the same ship and it was an inexpressible relief to his heart when he saw them sailing away bound for the shores of the united states the armed negroes increased in numbers and marshalled themselves under an intelligent leader named jean francois when the french governor in st domingo called upon them to lay down their arms their leaders replied for them we have never thought of failing in the respect and duty we owe to the representatives of the king of france the king has bewailed our lot and broken our chains but those who should have proved fathers to us have been tyrants 
monsters unworthy the fruits of our labours do you ask the sheep to throw themselves into the jaws of the wolf to prove to you excellent sir that we are not so cruel as you may think we assure you that we wish for peace with all our souls but on condition that all the whites without a single exception leave the cape let them carry with them their gold and their jewels all we seek is our liberty god grant that we may obtain it without shedding of blood believe us it has cost our feelings very much to have taken this course but victory or death for freedom is our profession of faith and we will maintain it to the last drop of our blood the negroes were mistaken in supposing that louis the sixteenth king of france had broken their chains or that the king's party called royalists were trying to do anything for their freedom it was the revolutionary party in france called the republicans who had declared themselves in favor of emancipating the negro slaves and giving the free mulattoes their civil rights the main body of the negroes had been kept in the lowest ignorance and of course could not understand the state of political parties the world was ringing with french doctrines of liberty and equality to be applied to men of all colors and they could not help hearing something of what was so universally talked of the spaniards in the eastern part of st domingo were allies of the french king and they wanted the negroes to help them fight the french planters who were in rebellion against the king in order to give them a strong motive for doing so they told them that louis the sixteenth had been cast into prison in france and that they were going to kill him because he wanted to emancipate the slaves in his colonies they readily believed that it was so because they saw their masters in arms against the king therefore they called their regiments the king's own and carried flags on which were inscribed long live the king the ancient system of government the slaveholders mounted the english cockade and entered into alliance with great britain while their revolted slaves joined the spanish the war raged horribly on both sides jean francois was of a gentle disposition and disposed to be merciful but the two other leaders of the negroes named genot and Biassou, were monsters of revenge and cruelty the bleeding heads of white men surrounded their camps and the bodies of black men hung on trees round the camps of the planters this state of things shocked the soul of toussaint breda much as he desired the freedom of his own race he was reluctant to join an enterprise marked by so many cruelties conscience forbade him to enlist on the side of the slaveholders and he would gladly have remained neutral but he found that men of his own color were suspicious of him because he had adhered so faithfully to m bayou de libertas he joined the black insurgents but resolved not to take part in their barbarities he occupied himself with healing the wounded an office for which he was well qualified by his tender disposition and knowledge of medicinal plants after a while however the negroes were compelled to retreat before the superior discipline of the white troops and feeling greatly the need of intelligent officers they insisted upon making toussaint aide-de-camp de, de biassou under the title of brigadier 
he desired above all things that hostilities should cease that the negroes should return to their work and that the planters should consent to cease from oppressing them a very little justice and kindness would have pacified the revolted slaves but the slaveholders were so full of rage and pride that if a slave attempted to return to his master however sincere he might be he was instantly put to death three commissioners came from france to try to negotiate a peace between the contending parties the blacks sent deputies to the colonial assembly to help the french commissioners in this good work but the planters treated their overtures with haughtiness and contempt it is said that toussaint wept when he saw the hopes of peace vanish it was plain that his people must resist their tyrants or be forever hopelessly crushed he was then fifty years old in the prime of his bodily and mental strength by becoming a leader he felt that he might protect the ignorant masses and restrain those who were disposed to cruelty perhaps he remembered the prediction of the abbe renal and thought that he was the appointed deliverer a second moses sent by god to bring his people out of bondage from that time henceforth he made it the business of his life to conquer freedom for his race but never in a bloodthirsty spirit end of toussaint Levitur, part one recording by rhonda fetterman